Diversity in Writing podcast, the show where we as authors explore the better practices of writing inclusively, whether that be in terms of race, gender, ethnicity, class, sexuality, ability, and so on. Why are we here? To bring more depth and breadth to the characters in our fiction and represent them in the best way possible. My name is Bethany A. Tucker, and with me each week is my co-host, Marielle S. Smith. Ready? Let's dive in. start today we have an announcement don't we yes this episode will be the close of our season three but also the close at least for now of doing diversity in writing as a podcast as we said when we started this we were going to share live our research for the book uh, for a book on doing diversity in writing and we would say that in many ways that aim has been successful I agree I'd say we've both, you and I, have grown as writers in this space in ways that we knew we needed to, and perhaps in ways we discovered that we needed to. And we sincerely appreciate our guests and the authors and writers who have joined us and grown with us. We do, however, have time constraints, and in the interest of getting that book actually written, finished, and published, and in keeping up with our other commitments, we've chosen to let the podcast rest, as it is for the moment. Episodes, of course, will remain up for everyone to hear. Yes. So once we've released this episode, you will be writing the book with all this wonderful research that we've done um, and then turning it over to me for all important editing some months from now. No pressure, right? (laughs) All the pressure. Like my red pen is so ready for this. No, I have trauma around red pens. Can we do like a blue pen? Blue is pretty. I can do a teal one. Oh, okay. I want teal. Okay. All right. So you get your teal teal pen ready for when I drop a massive file on you because I've already started compiling this research into chapters and it is, it is large. (laughs) I know. It's going to be significantly longer than the um, book I wrote on how to edit. Yes. It's going to be a proper book from, from what I've glanced. Yeah. Thus far, yeah. But until I get that written, um, let's get this episode recorded and out to everyone's hot little ears. I do believe that this last one we're doing is an important topic um, and one I've appreciated getting prepared for. Um, You've done a lot of heavy footwork on it that I appreciate. And I am looking forward to taking everything we've learned, preparing particularly this episode as I get back to some of my own books that I'm currently in development for. Yes. So, you know, just so everybody knows what we're going to talk about today, we're talking about how to write non-binary characters. And before diving in, we mentioned during our previous episode on how to write transgender characters, that there will be some overlap with this episode. And this shouldn't come as a surprise since trans as an umbrella term includes non-binary identities. So, Let's briefly sum up that overlap first before we go into detail about writing non-binary characters specifically. Do you want to take the first point? Okay. So first point, a character is more than their significant identity marker. That identity marker, whatever it is, should not be the thing that defines them or drives their story arc. Yeah. 
And that is because it's not up to cisgender authors to tell a character story about them being, in this case, non-binary, but you know, whatever the major identity marker is. Unless it is your identity and you are writing from your own voice. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But that's, I mean, that, I was gonna say that goes without saying, but it's nice maybe to repeat it. So the same is with writing transgender characters. One of the things that became very apparent when I was doing the research is this, um, the, basically we're asked to not focus on non-binary characters' physicality. So more often than not, there's really no need to discuss or describe our non-binary characters' bodies at all or the parts that are gendered. So you can obviously talk about the color of their eyes, the shape of their lips, the freckles on was their skin. If anybody heard that, my cat's feet. That my yeah, my my cat is one of my cats is very obnoxious. Yeah. Um, so you can talk about the non-gendered parts of their body, right? Like I said, like uh, uh, eyes, lips, freckles on skin, right? And if there is a need to talk about the parts that are gendered, be very sensible about how you write about this. And we've put we've put resources that we use in the show notes. So if you hear a name, you know, know that the article is going to be in the show notes. So one of the articles um, that we we uh, dug into for this one was by uh, is a, a series, actually a series of blog posts by Diane Brin. And they really put it nicely, and I'm, I'm quoting them here. If your non-binary car character is in a situation where their genitals would naturally be mentioned, do so as though that body part is completely natural for a non-binary person to have, because it fucking is, end of quote. So now we got that out of the way, let's dive into the topic properly. All right, and I'm just going to clarify, when you say we are asked to you're saying that this is advice that we have collected from people who are non-binary writing about how they want to be presented. Yes, so the articles that you will find um, on on how to write non-binary characters are written by non-binary authors. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to start here with another reminder also by Ian Bryce. And they write, the only thing that differentiates a non-binary person from a binary person is they don't identify as having a binary gender. Yes. So what does non-binary mean? And here I want to reference a blog post written by Jules on the All Right, All Right blog here, uh, another article that we've, um, we've included in the show notes. As far as definitions go, I feel that theirs is solid and clear, and I recommend reading their entire post. So Jules Wright, and this is another quote, non-binary is an umbrella term that's used to describe someone whose gender identity falls outside the binary options of male and female. You might have heard of other terms like genderqueer and B, which can be written in different ways, but there's no point in me saying it like that because you know we're talking. Um, and it's, 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 it's said exactly the same way. Sometimes um, spelled E N D Y. Yeah, that's what I was gonna like. It's 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 N B as in N and then a B. You know, non-binary. But uh, a lot of non-binary people refer to themselves as N Bs, and then it's spelled E N B Y. Yeah. Um, they continue gender non-conforming and gender variant, but those all mean roughly the same thing. End quote. So non-binary is both the umbrella term for many different identities and a label that can be used on its own. 
For example, you can fall under the non-binary umbrella and identify more specifically as gender fluid or agender, but you can also fall under the non-binary umbrella and identify as non-binary. Yes, and there are many, many labels out there, some more common than others, and it's wholly beyond the scope of this episode to discuss all of these, because when I say many labels, I mean many labels. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to include, if we, I've already included them, two links in the, in the show notes to the non-binary wiki. So one link is to the so-called common non-binary entities, and the other one is a link to the uncommon non-binary identities. So if you're thinking of including non-binary characters in your work, we suggest you have a good look at the, both these lists and familiarize yourself with the different labels out there to see which would fit your different uh, non-binary characters best. Yes. I keep learning new ones. Try not to let all these labels overwhelm you as you're writing. Instead, see it as an opportunity to allow some awesome, unique characters to roam into your work. And you don't need to try to include all of them. Like, literally don't. It's okay. It wouldn't be that realistic anyway. Especially because this list is growing. Yes. So it's futile. Like, don't even try. Yes. So what what might also help is is what I thought was a great description by Maya Kobabe, a non-binary author and illustrator um, of how to visualize gender. And I found this um, in a CNN article on tweens and teens exploring the power of pronouns. And and they say, um, I began to think of gender less as a scale and more as a landscape. So the way I see that, less as a spectrum, right? Which is how we tend to think of things more generally. And more as a field you can wander around in, in which people, even if they have the same gender, right? If they identify as exactly the same, with exactly the same label, they still take up different spaces, depending on what else they have going on identity marker wise. I really like that idea of kind of like wandering around. It's all the same area, but there's a lot of different features and textures to it. Yeah. I think the that image is just really, really helpful. And we can allow it to just color and influence the way we visualize the rest of their identity with all the other parts that make up a person being a person. Yeah. Um, Seeing gender as a landscape also helps you overcome that pitfall of writing some non-binary characters where you just kind of write the same placeholder mm-hmm. character over and over again. We we don't want to do that for any character in any situation, but specifically here, it allows us to keep it fresh and um, keep it realistic in the fact that each character needs to be unique in it of itself. Both Jules uh, from the All Right, All Right blog, that name trips me up. Yeah, and same, Bryce. Yeah. And Dee and Bryce come with a list of differences between non-binary people that really hits home. Even without thinking of other identity markers your non-binary characters might have, um, there's already such a tremendous amount of diversity within this community. So. Just see it as this great list to keep in mind when you're fleshing out your own non-binary characters. So you want to start with the first one? Sure. So this is basically kind of a summary of what they both say. Yeah, Yeah. a summary. Yeah. So first point, being non-binary could affect your character's life in a subtle or 
a life-changing way. Yeah. Some non-binary people, so this is the second point, experience dysphoria with their body, voice, and expected gendered roles in society, while others don't. Not experiencing any dysphoria does not make someone any less non-binary, though. I think that's really important to remember that you don't need this, you don't need dysphoria on any level to yeah. uh, to identify as non-binary. This is something that really hit home for me as I was following a couple different non-binary creators on TikTok, and they that has literally been one of the places I've learned the most. They were like, "This is my body. I feel good about it." I was like, yeah. Um, third point related to this is that some non-binary people might take up vocal training or use fashion to present themselves in a certain way, while others choose not to. Some might never even mention to anyone that they're non-binary, but that's still who they feel that they are. That's still valid, yeah. Um, some non-binary people choose to use a new name or pronouns or both, uh, and others might decide not to. Exactly. Both are valid. Some non-binary people choose to use they, them pronouns, while others are comfortable with he, him, she, her, or neo-pronouns. We will talk about neo-pronouns in a bit. That's a whole other little section. Yeah. Some uh, 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 Next point, some non-binary people pursue gender confirmation surgery, and others might not want to do that, either because they can't afford it, or they simply don't want to because they're absolutely 100% happy with their bodies as they are. Exactly. Um, another point, non-binary people could identify as one of the numerous non-binary labels, or they could decide they're just non-binary and don't dig any further in it. Don't feel the need to define it any more than that. Yeah. Cause just that there's like a list of like hundreds and hundreds of identity labels doesn't mean you want to make, maybe you're just chill. Like you're just like, yeah. this is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but for others, it's very important to find that label that is like, fits like a glove right and again it's both valid both are valid both happen both both are valid um non-binary people might also spend years refiguring out who they are and what it means to be non-binary or they could realize it once and then never feel the need to dwell on it again exactly some non-binary people will get really upset if their names pronouns or identities aren't respected while others take that disrespect or someone not knowing in stride and simply don't care some non-binary people are okay with some gender terms like mom or bro, while others are exclusively uh, others want to use exclusively gender neutral terms. Mm, Again, yes. just something to keep in mind. Some non-binary people dress in neutral clothing, while others dress more masculine or feminine. And some non-binary people are comfortable being seen as masculine or feminine, while others are not. Yes. They could feel the same way about their identity all the time or differently every day and reflect that or change how they act accordingly. Yeah. So just keep all of these in mind and ask yourself where in that landscape your own non-binary characters fit, right? Because these are all just questions that you have to ask your characters. And, you know, if you go through this list properly, it will be a really neat, like you really get your unique character. Yeah, my characters are like, oh, not that one, not that one. Oh, yeah, that one's me. I'm like, okay. Yeah, so that, that's just how it goes, right? Yeah. I, I talk to my characters. They are they are rapidly alive in my head. Is that, so another... Is that not common? I don't think some people's characters don't just scream at them like children. 
demanding attention. Oh, Mine do. They always have. Mine as well. Not as children because they're all grown ups, but I mean, they can be demanding. They're demanding in however their own characters are. Yeah. Like I have a couple that are very mature and they just like walk in front of me, cross their arms, and refuse to budge. That's their version of screaming. They're very annoying because they won't move. Yeah, or they can be you you're writing something, they're like, that's not like me though, and you know it. And then just refuse to do anything for the rest of the scene and you're completely like stuck. I actually think that's different than writer's block. When you're arguing with the character, that's not writer's block, that's you and the character having a difference of opinion. But they're right, but that's another topic. They're always right. Okay, let's go. Another solid point comes from Eris Young. Again, links to the article in the show notes. Um, Eris says, remember that physical sex, sexuality, gender identity, and gender expression are different things. Physical sex refers to a person's bodily conformation, i.e. their chromosomes, genitalia, and internal sex organs. A person's sexuality is who they're attracted to. Your gender identity is how you think of yourself and your expression of that is how you present yourself to the world. And I wish someone would have explained that to me when I was like 15. But anyway, moving on. Yes, right? Like, I wish we all knew this so long ago. Um, But again, thinking of gender as a landscape can really help here. Thinking through these four physical sex, sexuality, gender identity, gender expression, these will help you get a firmer understanding of where in that landscape your particular non-binary characters are. Like, where do they see themselves? And how does that inform um, everything? Exactly. Yeah. It'll help you bring in certain layers because you as the writer know these things about them and they will bleed through your writing as you pen down the story. So... I think this is something that I I ran into as I was doing the research, this question, can we have characters who don't exactly know where they are in the landscape, where they fit? Of course we can. As Jules from All Right, All Right says as well, um, your character doesn't need a label to identify as being not exactly male or female, right? Again, you don't need that label. The labels are out there for those who want them. Uh, but maybe you haven't found, maybe your character hasn't found the correct one yet, or maybe they're going to realize none of them exactly fit, or they don't care. They're just fine calling themselves non-binary, and that's end of story for them. So your character might understand that they are not binary, but they might not know how to narrow that down, or like I said, they might not wish to. This questioning of their identity, this not being entirely sure, doesn't even need to come up in your writing. In fact, if you're not non-binary yourself, it might be best not to have that discussion on the page. Now, how about characters who live in a setting where they don't have the vocabulary needed to put into words how they are feeling? Like they could be Amish and not have access to this particular knowledge, right? Like we were when we were 15, we this language was not available to us at the time. Not at all. Yes. Or they might live in an era in which the kind of language we have now, so not even 15 years ago, but let's say 100 years ago, or in some fantasy setting, wasn't yet available. How do we go about that? When writing this Mustang Rabbit in my Adelaide series, I really ran into this situation that you were just referencing. My main character, Adelaide, 
cross dresses in the very first scene of the very first book for practical survival reasons. But by the middle of the second book, as I was writing, I realized that she was querying her gender hard. And by the third book, there was just no doubt that Adelaide didn't see herself as just female or just male. And I sat down and asked her if she was trans, and she was emphatic, I am not. Um, This is a fantasy setting. So there really weren't any words set up in the world building for querying gender. It just wasn't baked in for the kingdom she was currently traveling through. I knew there was one like on the other side of the world, but she was nowhere near that kingdom, hadn't met anyone from it, wasn't part of the story yet. I didn't want to retcon published work that just wasn't true to the world I was writing in. What was written was true to the character, though. There was nothing that needed to be changed. She was herself, and she was discovering herself, and this is partially a coming-of-age story, so I just let Adelaide describe herself as herself. For consistency, I still mainly use the pronouns her when speaking about the series, especially that's how she presents in the first book on the first page, and I don't want to confuse anyone. Um, in the fourth book, which I'm in the process of developing, the plot itself made me confront the issue of gender. And I really, I just let Adelaide speak her truth and let it be messy. I didn't give her definitions, so to speak. She has a confrontation with another character asking why she has to choose. She's like, I am me, whatever and however I am, I am the same in pants and robes as laid as Adele, as Adelaide, it's all me. And I like me. That's what she says. She essentially demands within the context of the plot, the right to be complicated on the outside because it's so simple for her on the outs- on the inside. So complicated on the outside, simple on the inside. And it's really only other people that are making it complicated. Naturally, she does get flack from those parts of the world that would give her flack. But Her mentor is a sorceress, and Adelaide has a quick mind. She usually handles these situations with a very laid-back wit and an acid tongue. She's fearless, and that fearlessness is a bigger part of her character than her gender or gender expression. And so that's the part of her that handles the undefined parts that set off other characters. Hmm. I I will... Yeah, I struggled with it. I will say I was surprised because I did not set out to write a non-binary character. I never intended the story to go where it did in certain ways. Um, and much like Adelaide demands space to be as she is in the story, I've allowed her to have space to be what she wants to be in the book. And I haven't made it the point of her journey or her arc. It's just an aspect of who she was. Mm-hmm. I was concerned, really concerned, about whether or not I was writing an experience I couldn't speak to. But after researching and talking to those I trust, I feel that I've managed to walk that line by not centering her journey as a story of a person realizing they're non-binary and simply letting her be on her quest to get in a dragon's egg, which was the whole point to begin with, with all the messiness that entails. And she is attracted to all genders and sexes, which is someone who is bisexual, as I am, I was able to write to authentically. Yeah, so... I really love that. Um, and I love that you didn't set out for this character uh, to be that. And then they surprise you. And yeah. It felt like it was on a cliff for a few minutes. Yeah. I was just, I'm just going to say, um, 
not necessarily know if it's related, but just something that I really think we should not forget. Um, so in the trans episode, so the previous episode, we explicitly said that writing a transgender character who's questioning their transition is of limits, right? Who's who's doing the whole questioning thing um, and having doubts and stuff. Especially if the questioning leads to your character realizing they made a mistake and want to transition back, right? Because those are not stories we should be writing because we're trying to affirm their existence and, and not deny it. But in, in the non-binary context, having a questioning character might actually be very realistic because it's such a broad landscape and there are so many ways to identify. That said, if you are writing non-binary characters to affirm their existence, still think you should refrain from writing a character who goes from non-binary back to binary, especially if this includes surgically transitioning back as well. There's having your character question where exactly they fit in the landscape and you know trying to figure it out as they go. And then there's having your character decide they were wrong to ever identify as such. Example. A, yeah, side note. <laughs> no, of course. Didn't you have an example of a novel in which the main character is looking where they fit into this landscape of the novel? Yes, I do actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kaysen Callender's Felix Ever After um, is a novel in which the 17-year-old main character came out as trans a while ago, had top surgery, was still in high school, and throughout the novel they question whether they're actually a trans boy because something feels off to them. So they don't question their top surgery at all, and neither do they question the shots of testosterone they go for every two weeks, but they question their identity, the label. Do they fully, truly identify as a boy, or is there something more to it? Because this particular character sometimes doesn't feel... It doesn't always feel right when people refer to them as a boy. Sometimes mm. it feels off, right? So what what's wrong? So, so basically, what's wrong with me? That's kind of the sense you get in this novel. So this sets them onto the path of discovering different different non-binary labels and eventually finding one that fits them better than the label trans man. You can do know that Case and Calendar identifies as non-binary themselves. So this is an own stories story right and we're sharing this here as an, i wanted i wanted to share it here as an example uh, not as an invitation to write a plot that consists mostly of your non-binary character figuring out where they fit in the landscape right if that's something they're dealing with on the side of course that makes realistic they don't have to be entirely sure of how they identify yet and they might never actually get to that point which is also okay but don't make your story or their story within your biggest story about that particular journey like you said, in relation to Adelaide, it's that's not what her story is about. Yeah, exactly. So some ways to get started beyond I'm going to write characters beyond the binary on this journey we take as writers. So we have um, this article, Six Tips for Writing Genderqueer and Non-Binary Characters by Eris Young, who we've already mentioned, has some good advice. And um, part of that advice is, and I quote, examine the way you conceptualize gender, end quote. I think we were just doing this out loud in a rather messy way through <laughs> much of this episode already. But this is really such a great exercise to do before you start writing non-binary characters, like sit down with yourself and like, how do you yourself conceptualize um, gender? 
Here's what Eris says. We're raised to think of gender as just female and male, but the existence of gender queer people proves it's more complex than just one or the other. How do you think of your own gender? Are you all male or all female? Is there a little wiggle room? Because we don't fit with society's concept of gender, non-binary gender queer people are forced to always think about, think about gender. So thinking about it yourself will help you get into your character's head. I really think that like that sums up this like how where do you start? Exactly. Do this thing. It's the same as uh, when you want to write trans characters, you have to look at how you identify and what being cisgender means to you. Yeah. Yes, I'm nodding here and realizing people can't see me. Yeah, and 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 basically, actually, it's not just trans, right? It's it's. I think this is very similar to the advice that we referenced in in other episodes as well, right? It's it's advice that goes for all identities you're writing that go beyond your own, right? First, think through how you perceive your own identity and then how you perceive your identity vis-a-vis the identity of your character. That's just solid advice, yeah. Now, here's a discussion I wish we didn't need to have. Pronouns. The way some people respond to pronouns, I just, I don't know whether to scream or just laugh about it. For the record, you know, I just need to say this for the record. We have always used pronouns. Always. Pronouns aren't some woke invention. What makes me laugh the most is that some people seem to have forgotten that the singular they is standard in the English language. We use it all the time, literally. It's always been there. We're just not aware of it because it's so ingrained. Yes. And I I would also. No, sorry, go ahead. And I would also just, because I've been studying foreign languages so much lately, I like to remind people that there is a, so many different kinds of, pl- of pronouns out there in other languages. Like in Chinese, there's a special pronoun to use towards someone that you're trying to be really respectful for. It's just an extra nice way to refer to someone that is gender neutral, actually, as well. So there's all kinds of pronouns out there. But anyway, getting back to the English language. Yeah, so the thing is, is that we've been using it, the the singular they, right, since the 14th century, at the least, right, which is when it appeared in Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales, right? So Shakespeare, a couple of centuries later, also used it in his work. So it is actually part of the canon. It's part of the language. And it's something that we use all the time because it's not only used in a non-binary context. Exactly. So what pronouns in... So what are pronouns in a non-binary context? Um, Deanne Bryn explains uh, in their guide on how to write non-binary characters the following. Pronouns are often used as a linguistic form of gender presentation and designation. Most people relate singular they, them pronouns to non-binary people, and often non-binary people do use they, them exclusively. But there are many combinations and ranges of pronouns non-binary people choose. Let's go um, to this list together. (laughs) All right. So number one, we've already mentioned... um, there are non-binary people who use they them exclusively yes there are also non-binary people who sometimes use he him while using she her at other times as Bryn explains this is quite common for people who identify as gender fluid 
this doesn't have to be 50 50 either right it could be 80 percent of the time using she her and 20 percent of the time using he him or the other way around Reese Morrison is a non-binary author who writes a character who switches pronouns based on whether they feel femme or mass that day. And they dress to signal that mindset. And it's just wonderful to read how their friends walk in and are like, oh, you're in a dress today and just switch pronouns without even needing to be told. So that... that's just, just for the listeners, femme means feminine and mask means masculine. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. So this is a particular character that uses their gender presentation of wearing a dress or pants as a signal to the people who know them well what they're feeling like that day and they are they are very gender fluid character lovely book the title of the series is the love language series i really need to go reread it again is that the series that you've been telling me basically from episode one of this podcast that i needed to read Yes, yes, I have been telling you from episode one that you need to read it. There's also a lot of deaf culture in the series because one of the characters is, more than one of the characters is deaf or part of the deaf culture. So it's a very diverse series. Oh yes, racially, um, uh, socially, like all the different ways it's a really diverse book written by an author who is familiar with many of those cultures themselves i will just for the listeners as well i will add a link to this series in the show notes um because i think it we could all benefit from reading it then the author is also really nice <laughs> that helps i didn't i had never talked to them before i read the book but um I recently wrote them asking them to put some of their books in paperback so I could buy them and put them on my shelf. And they were really nice and wrote me back. That's so lovely. That's the yes, kind of yes. author I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I hate to tell you, but... Actually, I do. When I, I actually, let's be honest, like when people email me, I do, yeah, I do email them back. Nice. Then, then you already are that author. Yeah, 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 true. Okay. Okay, next point. Um, Some non-binary people use binary pronouns exclusively, so he, him, and she, her, meaning they either stick to the pronouns they were assigned at birth or they pick the ones that they were opposite from the ones assigned at birth. This, as Dean Brin also reminds us, no way changes the fact that they are non-binary. You can absolutely be non-binary and use binary pronouns, even the ones you were given at birth. Yeah. And uh, some... uh... Um, non-binary people opt for multiple pronouns. I think the most well-known example of this would be Queer Eyes' Jonathan Van Ness, who uses both he, him, she, her, and they, them. Like, doesn't really matter to do them. Um, Deanne Brin gives a couple of reasons for this. So think through these options when creating a character who goes with multiple pronouns. So one option is uh, your character might feel close to all sets of pronouns. Um, they might not, uh, they might have no desire to choose a specific set. Or maybe they don't feel the need to give up the pronouns they were assigned at birth in order to take on new pronouns. Yeah, they might just feel comfortable with it. Yes, and there's different reasonings behind each of them. So it's been interesting to to look into that for your character and and decide like, okay, what is the reason they they just, they're fine with multiple pronouns. They don't really care. Exactly. an important discussion to have here, um, and this is something that I see online, um, the term is being misused, is that of preferred pronouns. 
like this, it seems to be quite a bit of confusion around this. If someone's non-binary and they choose the pronouns they, them, so just they, them, these are not so-called preferred pronouns. They are simply their pronouns. It's not a preference, it's who they are. Now, non-binary people who have chosen multiple pronouns, they might have preferred pronouns, right? They might not, they might be equally okay with the entire set they've chosen, but they might have a preferred pair amongst that set, right? So for example, um, someone might go by they, them, and she, her, but still prefer they, them to be used. And this can be for any reason, right? It might be to accommodate the people around them. It might be because they don't want to come out in certain contexts, or it might just be because she, her doesn't offend them, even if they do have a preference. Some non-binary people pick entirely new pronouns. Um, this yeah. is what we said we would come back to, the neo-pronouns concept. As you can imagine, the options are endless here. So look for neo-pronouns online if you want to get an idea. As Dianne Bryn reminds us, there's still the least claimed pronouns due to most of society not being familiar with them. Mm -hmm. And this is actually interesting because this is where some of the authors of the articles that we uh, used for research uh, disagree. So Dean Brin is of the opinion that this is not a good reason to not write about non-binary characters who use other pronouns than the more common they, them, right? They actually advises us to also write non-binary characters who use um, neo-pronouns. Gender pronouns. So like him and him, her and she, oh, her. Okay. Also to use uh, characters who use uh, multiple pronouns, like, you know, the character in the book by Reese Morrison uh, you've mentioned, but Jules from the All Right, All Right blog advises against this. And, and this is their argument um, for not using multiple set of pronouns for one character or have them use neo pronouns, right? And so this is a long quote. You should not give your, and I, I just want to know what you think about this. You should not give your characters more than one set of pronouns each because it can be really difficult for readers to keep up with what is going on if one character has inconsistent pronouns. With that said, if your character is gender fluid and actively switches between more than one gender throughout the story, you can use different pronouns to reflect that gender expression at a given time. Just be as clear as you can do, uh, as you can do, do your best to minimize confusion. End of quote. I think I missed a bit there when I copied this, sorry. No problem. So what Jules is basically saying here is that they're not saying that you absolutely shouldn't do it. Just make it as clear as you can not to distract your readers from the story that you're trying to tell while you're doing this. Yeah. So in, so in, in um, the, the series that you've mentioned, is there any confusion or is it, is it actually done well? And it's done it really clear? well. At no, I may have gone back once or twice to reread one sentence, but especially over the course of the series and the books were well edited and it was intentional. There was usually like a mini introduction and later on, like there were four viewpoints in the series. Whoever had the viewpoint in the chapter that was being written would kind of signal to the reader what gender their partner or their friend was aligning with at the moment or none at all in some cases and it it took just just a couple minutes to like get my bearing and then 
it was clear. It was fine. I didn't have any problems reading it. And that that's really where I fall. It's like, if it can be clear, I would say trust your reader. Yeah. So if anyone wants to do this, you know, reading those books, the Love Language series, that might be a really good start to see how it can be done well. I wish I had more examples to offer up, but I don't. At least don't... not ones that that pulled it off so well and weren't confusing. I don't think I've ever read anything. I mean, I've read uh, plenty of novels about non-binary characters, but not about non-binary characters who have multiple pronouns. Everything else I've read is in the realm of sci-fi, dealing with, like, not not humans necessarily okay yeah so. which is what we see a lot okay okay so this is a really good and so to go back to the discussion in regards to neo pronouns uh jules um strongly advises us not to use them for fictional characters in in your story and i'm, I'm quoting here again neo pronouns can be confusing for people who are not familiar with them and you don't want to pull readers out of your story simply because of a small choice you made for one of your characters. Again, there's a caveat for them. Um, and this is what Jules says about that. Unless you know the majority of your audience will be LGBT plus people or those who are familiar with the community and the terminology, then you should avoid using your pronouns in your story, end of quote. And I don't think this is bad advice, but I would like to keep in mind that Dean Bren has a point as well. If we want to do representation thoroughly, we have to include everyone in our work at some point. And that includes people who don't stick to the they, them, and do use neo-pronouns or use neo-pronouns instead. And books really are where we find new ideas. So maybe we should introduce these terms that people might not be familiar with to broaden some horizons. Personally, I'm really open to that. If my story building allowed for it, then I would go that direction. But I'm going to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. I don't feel like there's any like blanket advice here. No. No. So, except for the good editing advice that I always say is don't confuse your reader and be clear about what you're doing. Yeah, and that goes for everything. Exactly. I don't know how many times as an editor I've gone back to, but are you being clear here? Your readers cannot read your mind. Trust them, but whatever you're thinking actually has to make it to the page. Yes. Yeah. It's, but that, and this, this is why we need the editors, because it's very tricky. As I've said before, editors need editors. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I think... The most important message here to take from Jules' article is to be as clear as you possibly can in your writing. I think that is basically what they're saying. Um, last but not least, there are some non-binary people who choose it, its pronouns. While this is a thing, Dean Brin strongly advises not to write characters using these pronouns unless you are yourself non-binary and are trans, because these pronouns have a long history of being used to dehumanize trans people humanize people in general I yeah, would... not just trans people I'm just gonna say I'm, I'm going to say slavery yeah like let's just start there or people 
people who don't have a place yeah. to live, the list goes on. Refugees right now, Muslims, yeah. Anyone that people didn't want to include in their society at the time. Yes. So even though people do use it, apparently, be very careful around this because this is a very, very slippery slope. Yeah, I would use neo-pronouns all day before I would actually do this just because of the space that I'm usually writing in. Yeah. All right. So how do we relay pronouns in our writing? We've kind of touched on this, but let's do a little bit more. Yeah. So before we move on to that, I want to talk a little bit about grammar because this confuses people, right? As an editor, I'm a member of multiple Facebook groups, and this question comes up quite a bit around the day then pronouns. And I'm really glad that Jules uh, from the All Right, All Right book, I keep tripping, that the title just keeps tripping me up. It's a, it's a hard title to say. Yes. Um, they actually mentioned this in their article as well, right? So this is the important question for a lot of people. What, for, what, what verb form do you use with the singular they? The correct answer to that is you use the plural verb. When you use they, you use are or have or whatever plural form of whatever verb you have in a sentence, even if the they is meant to be singular. So there is no they is or they has and so on. And this, you don't want to know how often I get this question. Um, I get this question personally, but also how often I see it online. And it's only going to get... I'm only going to see it more as more people get familiar and start editing, you know, non-binary stories and stuff like that. So you should you should just have a standard answer that you copy and paste at this point. Well, then this is my standard answer. <laughs> you use the plural verb. That's my standard answer. The, so the verb and the the pronoun must agree. Yes, even if the pronoun is intended to reference a single individual. So what some people also seem to be struggling with is how to use themselves or themselves. First of all, like they, these both of these can be used as singular. So themselves can be used as singular. And they are also both grammatically correct. So you can pick whichever you want when referring to your non-binary characters. Maybe your non-binary characters have a preference themselves. Maybe they want to use themselves or themselves when people are referring to them. The one thing here that's important is to be consistent. So perhaps check your manuscript when you're done writing for themselves and themselves and see whether you have been uh, consistent or ask your editor to pay extra attention to this. And if you do that, please give your editor a style sheet when you first hand them the manuscript because they won't want to start over halfway through. Yes. Now, or create the style sheet. That's what I usually do. I create the style sheet with my clients. Mm. Yeah, they give me the information and I just add to it as I go through the book. Yeah, I try to give my editors a style sheet at the beginning because I know what it's like to be, oh, I'm going to have to reread that section halfway through a project. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, so I ask for like names and stuff, right? Like place names, how is that spelled? Who is this person? Um, and then I just add my own uh, stuff to it as I go, uh, which is especially useful if you're editing someone series exactly um, okay so now uh, um well i think you know just to stay on topic dn well i think that dn brin's guide to writing non-binary characters is absolutely excellent it's a three-part uh, um guide the part i loved most was the common techniques they share on how to relay a non-binary character's pronouns in our writing so let's dig into those 
because this is practical stuff. All right, so there's the first way we call it the mind reader's way. Let your point of view character just happily know what everyone else's correct pronouns are all the time so you can move on with the story and not have to sit down for awkward conversations. It may be unrealistic, but um, it shouldn't break suspension of disbelief for anyone who genuinely wants to read about characters from non-binary genders going on fun adventures. Do keep in mind that this works best in societies where characters only use one pronoun set. Yeah, because otherwise, like the mind reader's way, it needs to be signaled one way or the other. Yes. By the character is using multiple pronouns. Yeah. So another one is the introduction path. And this in this one, um, the advice is to have it be customary for characters to introduce themselves by stating their pronouns and call all characters by they, them pronouns until they do so, right? Until you learn differently, you just re reference everyone in your novel references people they run into by they, them. This lets the story move forward quickly, but it can be awkward if you have primary characters such as villains who never actually introduce themselves to the point of view character. I could so see that get awkward be... if all your villains end up being they's. Yes, which is one of the things we are going to discuss. So it's, yeah, so you have to, but of course someone else might know your villain and uses the correct pronouns for your villain so you can sneak it in even if people are not directly introduced fair enough right all right it's could be yeah yeah that kind of takes us to the next way which is the everyone's friends route because even villains often yeah. have friends uh have there conveniently always be someone who knows the character's pronouns and can slip them naturally into a conversation I really love this one. That's just a bit of dialogue. You just, you know. Um, I love dialogue for telling people stuff. As long as the dialogue moves forward and there's something going on, you can slip so much information into a conversation that's even like a conflict conversation. And, you know, writers need to know that there is a huge line. It's a thick red line between slipping information to dialogue and info dumping in dialogue yes i always refer people to dialogue by oh i'm gonna mess up his name it's it's a big book it's called dialogue and we'll put it in the show notes because if you want to read about how to slip information and tension into a conversation at the same time i haven't read a better book on it than that book see there you go okay so another one is the pronoun pin road uh, much like pronoun pins, you know, those things that you have like on your coat, your jacket or your bag. Um, you could also include a piece of world building into your setting that culturally requires people to wear something particular relaying their pronouns. This works best either in a modern or futuristic setting where characters can wear actual pins, shirts, etc. Or a secondary world where you can control all aspects of the culture. Actually, in, in the series I'm plotting right now, I am doing the pronoun pin road um, by literally just having someone, somebody, someone is stealing someone's wallet um, with the intention to give it back later once they've used whatever they need to use inside the wallet. Um, and they notice as they open the zipper of their bag that there's like a they, them pronoun. So mm -hmm. when they actually meet in person in the next chapter, 
that character already knows um, their pronouns. And then later on, they become the every the um, everyone's friend person and tells other people or corrects other people for the other person. Uh, so you're using a combination of two ways to communicate yeah. pronouns here. Yeah. All right. So we also have the coming out highway form of letting the reader know pronouns. Um, this can be the most awkward. I don't find it to be the most awkward, but it can be. It is also a most realistic option, especially if you're writing modern settings, to force your character to explain their pronouns if they don't fit society's strict gender norms. This can be as simple as one character saying, sorry, I don't mean to bug you, but what pronouns do you go by? Or another character arriving on the second day of class in masculine clothing and announcing, I go by he, him pronouns today. Uh, so this is interesting yeah. because this is not necessarily awkward to me. It's not. I've done this in person with people and I'm just like, hi, um, what pronouns should I use to refer to you? Yeah. And it's, I, I've never actually had that go badly. That's good. I think that says a lot about the people you associate with as well. Or maybe we're just there as a society that it's no longer. I mean, I do choose my time and place when I express myself that comfortably. But there is something to be said about being so brazenly confident that no one gets mad at you. And I think I might have a little bit of that going on, too. <laughs> yeah. So what Dean Brin points out, just as a last thing on this topic, like whatever route you choose, they say, make sure to be consistent throughout your story. And of course, like we just already showed, you can use multiple techniques in one story, right? Like one person might be signaled because they notice the, the, the pin on someone's bag or like jacket while another person simply knows because they have a mutual friend. Exactly. Right? You don't have to, uh, you can stick. Um, but yeah, if it's something like some of these topics that we discussed are really world building ones. So yes, if, if it becomes part of your world building, you definitely have to be really consistent. Uh, or if it's part of your narration style, like introduce everybody as a they them until we know better, yeah. Yeah whatever you do just be consistent about it yes but that's again the clarity thing exactly so let's yeah. look a little bit at language beyond the binary i know we've done some of this previously but do you want to take us out on that yes so pronouns aren't the only words in language and depending on the language you write in uh, it might be very hard to come up with non-binary or neutral alternatives for certain words I've had some of my nonfiction work translated into Greek, German, and French, um, other languages as well, but it's, these were the tricky ones. And it's been really hard and sometimes impossible to keep the language as neutral as possible, because that's how I write in English in my nonfiction. I try to be as neutral as possible. Uh, that was really hard for these three particular languages. I think we talked about gendered language like this at length in season one specifically episodes nine and ten yes. we actually got into some yes. of the history and pointed out some of the kind of invisible that we don't even notice um some gender terms that we don't even think about half the time are like mr mrs ms brother sister nephew niece dude girl queen king gentleman ladies 
Some occupations are still referred to using gendered language, such as firemen, although it's been a long time since I saw that one. We usually say uh, firefighter um, yeah. or postmaster. We see often see like the post office worker or post delivery person. Doula um, is another one. And it can sometimes be a struggle to find a suitable neutral alternative. Again, which words are gendered and which are not depends on the language you're writing in and the time and place because we have a lot more options in the uh, modern setting than say like when I'm writing Adelaide and I definitely said it in like a medieval Europe for one particular kingdom. I was like, I'm out of options here. If you're writing in English and your characters are in a setting in which using a Mr. or a Mrs. would be appropriate, the most common gender neutral term used these days is mix, which is spelled X and it's pronounced as mix. In uh, one of the novels I'm working on, I have a mix uh, as a teacher. Which of these terms your non-binary characters are okay with and which they are not can differ between characters too. And we've already discussed that. Some might be cool with all gender terms, whether or not they use multiple pronouns or others want to stick to neutral terms only and others accept words that match the binary pronouns they've chosen. They might all have different reasons for being okay with whatever they're okay with too. So do some digging here, like really think through this. Exactly. So let's talk about presentation a little bit, how a non-binary character might present themselves to the world. A lot of people present themselves in line with their gender, meaning they're they look, dress, and act according to the cultural norms for where they're at around their assigned gender. At birth, a woman might wear a dress and heels and makeup and sit in a perfectly composed matter and no one bats an eyelash. If a man did any of that, if a man did any of that, we'd notice because it goes against what's expected of men, at least in the Western world today. Depending on your setting, you have to research what the society's gender's norms are and when fashioning an entirely new world, this is something that you get to think through and really do need to think through. No matter people might choose to not adhere to any gender norms or pick one set of norms over the other, whether that's a gender they were assigned at birth or the exact opposite. Some non-binary people present themselves as androgynous, uh, meaning they present themselves as someone, you know, in between masculine and feminine. It's, it's um, for people who don't know what that means um there are quite a few artists these days who play with that and exactly really have that sort of androgynous look yeah so while the androgynous look is the one that's most commonly associated with non-binary people Dean Bren reminds us to think through why if we have characters looking androgynous they decide to present themselves as such they say Quote, some non-binary people present as androgynous because it feels most natural to them, while others present as androgynous because it helps inform the rest of the world of their gender. It's another layer to add to your fleshing out of the non-binary characters. Yes, non-binary people might also choose to either present themselves as more masculine or feminine. Again, this doesn't make them any less non-binary. And Dean Brin gives us a couple of reasons why they might opt for this. And again... These are great reasons to think through when deciding on what your non-binary characters look like and why. So they say they may present this way because they enjoy it and it feels natural, 
or because they grew up presenting that way and don't have the time or means or desire to adjust, or because their best efforts would not allow them to present as androgynous without extreme measures they don't feel the desire to undergo. Um, for example, uh, so that was end of quote. So for example, your character might want to look more androgynous, but if they have a certain breast size, this might not be an option for them, even with the use of a binder. They might not have the money for it or the insurance to cover top surgery, or perhaps they don't want to make any actual changes to their bodies, which are all good reasons. Something that's becoming more visible is non-binary people who, um, who have a mixed presentation. Again, as Dan Brain Healthly tells us, there are multiple reasons why non-binary people might want to mix it up. They might want to do it based on their mood or how they feel about their gender at the moment or to keep their presentation similar around a specific group of people such as at work versus friends. This can mean presenting as masculine sometimes and feminine other times or as androgynous sometimes and masculine or feminine other times or a mix of all three. This switch may happen in relatively even amounts, or the person may wish to present one way or, and on rare occasions another way, or anything in between all of that ratio. When I think of non-binary people mixing presentations who are very much in the public eye, I'm again thinking Queer Eyes Jonathan Von Ness and author, activist, and artist Alok Veit Menon. Both sport beards while often wearing what we would call feminine clothing, and uh, Alok also uses lots of makeup in their gender expression. So just for, if people want, just for people to have a visual, like what would that look like? Look these people up. I love this little note by Diane Brin on gender nonconformity, by the way, it's just something um, that just needs to be said. They say, just because someone is gender nonconforming does not necessarily mean they are non-binary. Many binary queer people choose to present in ways that don't conform to gender norms and they have every right to do so, end of quote. In other words, you can't just tell by looking at someone how they act, whether or not they are non-binary. They might be non-binary yet present themselves according to the gender they were given at birth for whatever reasons. Someone may present androgynous or wear gender neutral clothing or the opposite gender clothing and absolutely feel cisgender and identify as cisgender. Yeah. That said, uh, Dean Brin does add the following, and it's again something interesting to think through when you're, when you're fleshing out your characters. They say sometimes gender non-conforming people are trying to decide whether they are truly binary or not, whether they decide that they are binary um, or non-binary or trans or make no decision at all. This is a perfectly respectful way to explore one's gender. So most dues for writing non-binary characters are the same as the dues we've discussed in our previous episode. So we're going to keep this part short and just quickly run through them. Yes. So if first we're going to discuss the dues and then we're going to discuss the don'ts in relation to writing non-binary exactly. right. yeah. Writing non-binary characters. The tripping over the tongue in this episode is intense. So do give your non-binary characters hobbies and interests that are absolutely unrelated to their non-binary identity. And do give them their own plot arcs, love interests, and happily ever afters when your genre allows. <laughs> yes, when your genre allows for that. Doesn't, doesn't always, not always the case. Do have more than one non-binary character in your story, if that makes sense for your story. And, you know, include both secondary characters and minor characters as well there 
Yeah. And do give them intersecting identities. Non-binary people are incredibly diverse, just like any other kind of person that we've talked about in all three seasons of this podcast. So Dee and Bryn gives what they call, and I really, really appreciate this, and I think this is super practical advice that everybody can just use. Um, they call it two insanely easy ways to include non-binary representation in all of your stories. So the first one is give a character or multiple characters they then pronouns. And they go on to say, you don't have to explain this, right? This character never needs to come out as non-binary. There doesn't have to be a focus on whether they're androgynous or not. You can keep it so simple that their description is just, Parker had brown hair and a hooked nose and when they smiled, their eyes lit up. And there you have a non-binary coded character without having to do any work or research at all. I have done this twice in my current work in progress, long before we ever started researching this episode. And it has worked really well. I have one series as well, right? It's just this character is just a they. And there is no nothing about it. Yeah. They just refer to them as when they are introduced to the main character, they use they. And from that moment on, they're they. And nobody ever talks about what that means. Yeah. And for me, it's been both the characters I did this with were just characters that only showed up in like one scene or a small handful of scenes it wasn't a big deal but it was it was that quiet presentation that one of our earlier articles reference called for yeah and so I have this particular character but I also have in the same series a character who is more who gets closer to the main character so they do the whole when they introduce them themselves they say by the way pronouns are they them mm. So the, like the direct communication. So it's different kind of the way that the characters deal with them because the other character is more like don't really care and sort of trust their friends to make sure that everybody knows what's what. Mm-hmm. The other one is more direct in, 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 in their approach. Yeah. In this, it not just depends on us as authors. It also kind of depends on what the character would naturally do based on the rest of their identity and yeah. personality. Like personality is so important. Some people are like in your face with it. And some of them were like, oh yeah, like I was going to tell you eventually. Now you're saying that I'm like, I didn't think this, I didn't think about this at all, but the character who was a bit more laid back about it and sort of, you know, lets it, you know, lets their friends, they're the drummer in the band that some of my main characters are part of. Mm. So it's like they're a drummer behind the drum kit. Right. So they're like in at the back of the stage, right? Almost in the dark. And then the other character is much more extroverted and is kind of known for being the person who has a lot of knowledge, like they're like a history buff. Um, so they're always telling stories that nobody's asked for. <laughs> they have they know too much about everything. So they're always like, oh god, there they go again. So they're Don't get them started. Yeah, so they're much more in the, they don't mind the visibility and being sort of in the limelight. Mm-hmm. So now now you said that, I'm like, oh, that actually fits their characters really well. That one of them is like not having the discussion because other people sort of take care of it. And then the other one is much more like, hey, this is who I am. Um, yeah, yeah, it definitely, it's not just our writing styles, it's who the characters are. And yeah. personally, I love letting the characters kind of drive so much of that. Well, th- I didn't think this through, but it kind of fits. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, that actually fits their characters to a T. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Okay. So another another um, another way to do inclusion is have a character refer to their family member or a friend with gender neutral terms. For example, those are my sisters, my big brother and my little sibling. We're on a skiing trip, but our step parent came down with flu. So our father stayed back at the lodge and let our uncle take us up the mountain. Will any of these non-binary characters ever be in the story itself? Perhaps not, but they've still been referenced, they've been included, and it still shows that the author accepts the existence of non-binary people in the story's world, and that the character speaking loves and respects the non-binary people in their family enough to refer to them in the way that those family members prefer. Yeah, I really like that. I like this idea that you could include, you could be inclusive without having the characters be on the page. Yeah, it's a really good baby step. Instead of writing people out of the world that you don't yet know how to write about, at least acknowledge that they're in your world. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Like you said, it's a baby step. Like this should not become uh, an excuse not to actually include them on the page, but it will help us to do the baby steps and it will help us include even more characters then we can fit on the page of our novels. I mean, believe me, when I first started looking for presentations of bisexuals, I was looking for anything because there was so little. Well, it's a thing, huh? By invisibility. Yeah. All right, so we have a couple of don'ts. Yes, so as with the do's, a lot of the don'ts for writing non-binary characters are the same as the don'ts that we discussed in our previous episode. So again, we're just going to, quickly run through them without going into much detail um, here. Do listen to our episode on how to write trans characters for more um, more of the why behind some of these. So don't use the non-binary identity for shock value or plot twists. Don't draw attention to dead names, biology, or anything else that could delegitimize their identity. Don't make your only non-binary character a villain or kill off a non-binary character if they are going to be the only one dying. We've already seen too much of this. Yes. Don't make their existence a sob story because they're non-binary. I don't really feel that needs to be explained, but anyway. (laughs) Don't write about their self-discovery or their coming out as non-binary as if it's the only thing this character has going on it never is for example how i talked earlier about adelaide and letting her be who she is and who she wanted to be naturally in the flow of everything else including trying to find or trying to earn a dragon egg alluding to self-discovery after the fact is fine too because whatever happened there will have shaped them in a way but let's not have it be the point of their character as their character exists in your book yeah and don't include transphobic biases in your story unless it fits the context. It's more than okay to write about happy-go-lucky non-binary characters. If you do, make sure it's obvious to the reader that you as the author condemn such transphobic biases and slurs and whatever, what have you. So now so these are the ones that is that have overlap with our previous episode. So now for the don'ts that are more specific to non-binary characters all right let's do it yeah don't have all your non-binary characters look androgynous as Eris Young argues in their article um, and this is a quote 
there are about a million different ways to present as non-binary. What type of body shape does your character have? Do they wear ambiguously gendered clothes or clothes for both men and women? Or are they gender fluid with a changing gender identity and present differently on different days? End of quote. Okay. Also another one, don't make your non-binary characters robots, aliens, or other non-human creatures, such as fairies. This doesn't really cover the concept of representation fully yeah unless there are zero humans in your book but that's a whole nother topic yeah we see this fairly often and it basically implies that non-binary people are less human or natural for being non-binary if this is how you're doing the presentation of non-binary you're removing it from the human context you can definitely include non-binary aliens or elves or orcs in your work, but please make sure to also include non-binary humans when you do so. Unless, of course, there are no humans in your story, as I've already said. Yeah. So one final note on writing coming out scenes. Um, so this is not a definite don't, <laughs> just a note. In, in, in their guide to writing non-binary characters, the end differentiates between the big coming out scene and what they call the casual everyday coming out. And this is the kind of coming out that anyone who falls somehow under the LGBTQIA plus umbrella has to do when, you know, meeting new people, you can't really avoid this particular kind. Like, I'm sure that both of us have these moments a lot. I probably come out as poly, polyamorous with my... I don't know, once or twice a month at least. It's it's not even a big thing anymore. I'm just like, yes, this and this, and then move on. And people kind of look at me, and depending who they are, they like give a shake or blink really hard and stumble over their words. But if I don't make a big deal out of it, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And that is for me that like for me, it's like um I prefer to use the word partner. Mm-hmm. When I reference when I refer to my partner, but sometimes I feel the need to make it clear that this is uh, uh, not that this is a same sex partner, and then I will use the term girlfriend, uh, just yeah. because in some context I feel that I need to make the point clear. Yeah, um, yeah. As long as we live in society as it is now, this is an intrinsic part of life. If you differ anyway from the norm, it's gonna come up, right? So. As we've already discussed earlier, there are many subtle ways in which people can convey their gender identity and in which you as the author can convey a character's gender identity to your other characters and to your readers. So think through those when you find yourself at a moment in your story where your non-binary character needs to be outed in an everyday way. Got it. Yeah. So let's talk about naming characters beyond the binary. Yes. We've done character names before. That was a lot of fun. So we're kind of building on that and adding into it. Similar to transgender people, non-binary people tend to have a different name than the one that was given to them by their parents when they were born. Not always, but often. And again, like transgender people we referenced in the last episode, a lot of non some non-binary people will choose to keep their birth name as well for whatever reason. I'm thinking um, actress, producer, artist, and activist Zachary Drucker, for example, a trans woman who didn't change her name when she transitioned, but kept Zachary. Yeah. Usually when picking a name for our characters, for our human characters anyway, we pick the names their parents would have chosen for them. Um, 
unless there's something happening in the story that shifted that. Now, though, we have to think through what kind of name a non-binary person would choose for themselves, because oftentimes, unless you're writing a story that would change this context, this is a name they've chosen for themselves intentionally. So as Jules from the All Right, All Right blog mentions, a lot of non-binary people either take a nickname from their given name, uh, they shorten their name, their given name in a way that suits them best, or they pick a different variation of the same name. That said, just because your character identifies as non-binary doesn't mean they won't choose a gendered name as their real name, or simply keep the gendered name that their parents have given them. After all, and, and this is me quoting Jules, Having a gendered name does not make the character any less, any less non-binary. If Robert says they are non-binary, then they are non-binary. This also reminds us that there is the quote, there is a stereotype that non-binary people choose nouns for their name, end quote. And yes, this does happen. It isn't true for every non-binary person. Um, non-binary people who choose a noun for their name often pull names from their interests, such as space, nature, mythology, things that excited them, a good memory, etc. Yeah. So the non-binary team in Jamie Sands onesies and Ouija boards is called Arrow, for example. Um, and just thinking about that, um, Jensen Ackles' daughter, one of Jensen Ackles' daughters, also called Arrow, right? So mm. it's not a particularly non-binary name, right? There's also people who call their daughters, that give that name to their daughters, um, on, on birth I've definitely uh, read characters who were identified as male also being called arrow there you go yeah so but um, the non-binary teen in case and calendars Felix ever after is called Felix right so that is not a noun and in the Netflix series sex education we have Cal which I'm assuming is short for something and there's also Layla which is, of course, uh, um, a, a name that has like a feminine connotation. Yeah. Even though that's not how they present themselves. Yeah. So those are so some I, options. Yeah. So how about your Adelaide character? Like, does she change names as she goes in, as, she, as she's on her journey? Oh, this happened organically while I was writing. The answer is yes and no. Um she does need to be seen as male in some settings just there's a danger factor and she shortens her full name to something mass sounding but she never actually gives up her name her original name um she goes by laid when she's mask presenting um but adelaide always thinks of herself as herself no matter her name or her presentation she's not particularly attached her gender is really such not an issue for her that she doesn't see a need to stick with one and enjoys using the range of it. So she goes by Laid, Adele, Adelaide. Um, in other languages, she picks up different nicknames, etc. It's something she plays with to get done what she needs to get done or how she's feeling in the moment, but she, there's not very much attachment to it. So I love that. I mean, the she's so chilled about it in such a environment that's not chill about these things i mean she kind of has bigger problems going on <laughs> that is true yeah 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 that is true like yeah, yeah. you know an entire war with 
some deities and the mermaid queen kidnapping her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is, yeah, yeah. I can see how that sort of like deprioritizes uh, uh, that, yeah. A little so, bit. Yeah, so in, in the fantasy series that I am currently plotting, one of the non-binary characters just dropped the last couple uh, of letters of their name. So the way the name is pronounced remains the exact same. And they partly do this to make it easier on their family, right? But just writing it without the last couple of letters means that the name has lost its distinct femininity. Um, it becomes basically a boy's name by Got dropping, um, they, they drop the N-E at the end. That um, works. And in my other series, the, most, the two most prominent non-binary characters they have picked both have picked names that are traditionally given to both boys and girls. The 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 drummer actually um, uses a nickname of 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 the their given name, hmm. uh, and the other uh, the the more extroverted uh, oh my god don't let them start uh, character um, they actually pick um, a more gender neutral um, name for themselves. Yeah. Got it. So going back to Jules again, they make another important point that very much fits the scope of this podcast. Be wary of cultural appropriation when picking your non-binary character's real name. Don't let them pick something just because it's hip or sounds cool yet might be sacred to whatever community you're taking it from. Unless, of course, you're creating a non-binary character who isn't culturally sensitive and it's part of your plot, their character arc. And if you missed our episode on cultural appropriation, go back to season one, it's episode four and dig into that. Yeah, I like that idea, by the way, that you can do it if part of the whole idea is that your non-binary character isn't sensitive to these things. So this is something that they have to learn about. Um, yeah. They, yeah, I like that, yeah. But yeah, generally speaking, like don't just pick something because it sounds awesome. Um, be a bit sensitive as to why they would pick certain names yeah so um, to start wrapping up this episode Diane Brin reminds us uh, and this is a very important reminder that non-binary people have had a long history of being ignored in western stories so what they say is um, having writers attempt to include respectful non-binary representation in their books is more important to us than having all that representation be perfect. So write non-binary characters, find a few non-binary or trans readers to double check your work, and most importantly, have fun, end of quote. So that is Dean Brin's advice for everyone who wants to include uh, non-binary characters in their work. Agreed do that and remember that if we go all the way back western stories or the culture of western stories are based on did historically and we're going way way back here have non-binary representation for example gender fluid deities aren't only a thing of other cultures i'm using air quotes here because cultures exchange and change we have them too in the western culture history um so anything that would have fed into English-speaking cultures, they do exist. We just don't talk about it as much anymore, or they got written out or sidelined as things got translated into the modern vernacular. As Christianity mm. happened. Yeah, exactly. 
um, to read more on this, we will be including an article in the show notes, um, but it's just not something we had time to really dig into today. Yeah, but I do, it, it is good to think through this or just know that this is a, it is a thing. Mythology has a lot of deities or individuals or figures that either had traits of both or switched or changed or, and, and you got to read them through the context of like war and cultural domination that rewrote certain mythologies. So understand them in context and go back historically. And it's complicated enough. That's why we're not getting into all of it today, even though we did start that research. Yeah. So the saying you were talking about uh, Jennifer Dades, um, for me, I always think about angels and arch, uh, archangels um, we, who, who've been very gendered um, also, I think, due to Christianity. And of course, like angels and archangels, they predate uh, the Christian tradition. So these days, I'm always very surprised to see them represented as gender fluid or non-binary because it's just not that common anymore to have that kind of fluidity around you know beings that are not humans like the binary system was created by humans right let's be honest about that um but there are tv shows like supernatural who do bring this up like very casually um for example they have an arch an archangel um pick a female vessel just because it's available um and because you know in in that particular series if you're an angel you need permission to occupy a human's body right so they just you know they pick one that is available but they pick someone who says yes so in this case they a woman a woman says yes right um after their previous vessel which was a man's body disintegrates so, so let me understand this the archangel was in a man's body yes and that body disintegrated could not hold him any longer for whatever reason well no that it was killed yeah okay that body was killed and then they got permission from uh, a, indiv- a soul in a female body and then occupied the female body because to them it did not matter. Yes. And in so in the show, it makes the humans blink for a moment, right? Because, you know, humans have binary thinking. But the angels don't really register it because the whole gender thing means much less to them. So when this, when the when the female vessel shows up, the humans are like, "Who are you?" And the angels go like, "They they just know. They don't need an introduction. They just know that this is now that it's the same. It's the same angel. Um, They're not going by the outside. They're going by the spirit force, the grace. Right? It's the grace uh, for supernatural. So I think there's much to learn from this." It definitely mixed things up, and it was something that I enjoyed while watching Supernatural, the show. Yeah. All right, so this brings us to the end of this episode and of the show for now. Marielle, do we want to say a little something about what we're up to and where people can find us since we won't be here every month? (laughs) We're going to the end, and I just... ah just completely took the wrong sip of tea okay yes sure let's do that but you go ahead so i'll see if i can get over this uh, cough that has developed okay as i said before i will actually marielle said it for me i'll be writing the book based on our research and any additional research um, that we discover or i discover is needed as i'm writing 
Um, I'll also be getting back to my pen names, Sierra Darren and Mustang Rabbit, and writing for them. And I'm still available if anyone wants um, to reach out for a consult or book me for editing. You can find me at the artandscienceofwords.com or the same name at Gmail. And of course, links are in the show notes. I am considering dropping into TikTok, but that remains to be seen if I can juggle it. There's something I really want to do over there in terms of representation and literature. But honestly, my time is extremely booked right now. So cross your fingers for me. What about you, Mariel? Um, I'll be crossing my fingers for you because I definitely want to see you on TikTok. Um, I'll be working on the series that I mentioned earlier on, um, as well as at least one, but probably more Kickstarter campaigns. One of the books I'm launch I'll be launching through Kickstarter this year is a book with Darrow Spreads for Entrepreneurs, which is what I'm currently working on. I also intend to record more meditations for writers and other creative people, and I'm cooking up a plan to organize a virtual writers retreat later this year. And of course, and this I'm going to drop a link. If you want to stay in the loop about all of this, uh, you know, they need to visit my website and sign up for my newsletter. And while this podcast might be ending, people can still hear me talk about writing on the Diving Into Writing podcast uh, with new episodes going out every other Monday. And like Bethany, I'll continue to work with other writers as an editor and a coach. All right. Well, that's it for now. Thank you, everyone, for listening and joining on us joining us on this journey if you want to be updated about our progress with the book please sign up to our newsletter yes and then we will keep you posted exactly all right happy writing everyone happy writing thank you for joining us Music for this show was written and produced by Eric Mills. If you found this episode helpful, please rate and review on your favorite podcast app and spread the word so other writers can find us too. To get our Doing Diversity in Writing Toolkit, which includes all bonus material from Season 1, go to representationmatters.art. That's dot A-R-T. Here you will also find our episode show notes. Happy writing and see you next episode.